morning. It's good to be with you here. My name is Danny Householder. I am a pastoral intern here at First Lutheran Church. It's just a fancy way of saying I'm the luckiest person on the planet because I get to hang out here every single day and I get to hang out with you and I get to learn from some awesome people like Kari and Pastor Steve, Pastor Angie, the entire staff, Pastor Angie, all of them. Uh, it's great. And I'm happy to be here with you in the traditional service today. Um, and I want to say hello to those of you who are joining us in the fellowship hall uh, through our simulcast. I want to say hi to those of you who are joining us through some sort of screen, whether that be online, uh, on the computer, or um, also watching on TV. It's so good that we get to worship God together, even though we can't be physically together. And I think that's awesome. We've been going through this series over the last, uh, really since about the beginning of 2016, uh, this good and beautiful, first it was good and beautiful God, and then it's good and beautiful life. So we were trying to find out who is God? What are the characteristics about him? So we talked about that, and then we have to get into the question, so who am I? And throughout this series, The Good and Beautiful Life, we've been making our claim as God's kids. I am a child of God. It's the most important identity we could ever claim. But there's a question that, what does that look like? If I'm a child of God, if I've claimed that Christ dwells within me, what does that look like? How does that mean that I live? I mean, because frankly, if Jesus, if he is as powerful as we believe, something should change, right? From what, how we used to live, for how we could live without him, compared to how we do live because we have him. What does it look like? So today we're getting at vengeance. And vengeance is tough because vengeance is tempting. I hope that today we'll realize that vengeance is never the option. Vengeance is never the choice that we're supposed to make as Christians, as followers of Christ, as a child of God. But it's tough. It's easy to fall into because we all have people who hurt us. For some of you, you're coming in here today dealing with a lot of pain because of what someone did to you. Maybe that was really recent. Maybe it was within the last week. Maybe it was sometime this year. Maybe it's something that you're holding on to that happened years ago, decades ago. But you don't want to let it go. How do we deal with that? And maybe it's not something so major. Maybe it's something that's not so life-altering, but it's the smaller things in your life. You know, the details. And people hurt you in the small details of life. For example, when you're driving to church this morning, someone may have cut you off, you know, and that hurt you. And you wanted to say something, but you didn't because you knew that you were coming to church and you didn't want to have to confess that, right? I mean, it happens to me all the time. Or maybe you're at a restaurant and the waiter messed up your order and you're hurt by it. You're upset by that. Why didn't you serve me right? Or maybe you're the waiter and you had some customers who were really mean to you. They hurt you. This happens all the time. It doesn't have to be something major. I personally have dealt with this in the last couple of weeks. Uh, this was something that was minor, and I was hurt by it. Unrighteously hurt by it. I shouldn't have been hurt by it, but I was. I love cereal. To give you an idea of how much I love cereal, I'd like to show you an image of what my cereal cabinet currently looks like. So if you'll take a look at the screen, uh, my cereal cabinet currently looks like that. That's my collection as of right now. You might say, Danny, that's incredibly unhealthy. That's a lot of sugar content. I'm just going to say, it's breakfast food. It's healthy, right? 
You can't go wrong there. So you got your Apple Jacks, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, all that stuff. Well, anyway, a couple weeks ago, I was going through finals. I just finished up my second year of seminary. And we were going through finals, and this is a really busy week for me. And so really, in those weeks, I live off of cereal because it's convenient, and the study breaks that I have to take to go eat they don't take that long. You pour in the cereal, you pour in the milk, boom, you're good to go, you eat it, back to studying. Now, I personally have a favorite. It's the trifecta, as I like to call it, and I don't have it in the cabinet right now, but I did a couple weeks ago, and it would have been Lucky Charms, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and Twix, all piled on top of each other. Now, you might say that's gross, but trust me, it is the magically delicious taste that you can see, and I agree with the rabbit 100%. It is not just for kids. It was amazing. I love this treat. And so I'm waking up in the morning to get ready to study for finals, and before I want to eat, I want to, okay, let, let's get a little bit started here, then I'll take a break, and I'll come back, and I'll eat breakfast. So I check the fridge, I'm like, okay, perfect. There's just enough milk. There's just enough milk for that nice, cold three-fourths of a cup that's going to pour in with my perfect trifecta of a cereal. So I go study. And uh, right as I get to the point where I'm like, all right, this is a study break time. This is good. I can, uh, I can get up and start going here. Um, I hear this. <laughs> What's that noise that I hear coming around the corner? <laughs> That's my chewing noise. And then there's my roommate, Matt. Comes around the corner. Bowl in his hand. Spoon in the other. And I'm like, Matt, there's no way you're eating cereal right now, right? I mean, it's like 8.30 in the morning, but I'm sure you're just having soup, right? Like, there's no way you're having cereal because I know how much milk was left and I was looking forward to that and it was going to be so delicious. And there's no way you're having cereal right now. But as he's lifting the spoon just above the rim of the bowl, I see Honey Nut Cheerios right there resting on the spoon, approaching his mouth with the perfectly cold milk oozing off the spoon back into the bowl. <laughs> no! That was mine! Matt, what have you done? I was so upset. That was supposed to be my cereal. And to make matters worse, once he finished, he puts the bowl on the coffee table, and I just have to look over it. And I see that the bowl is still half full of milk. I could have had like two more bowls of cereal with that man. I despised him in that moment. Matt is one of my best friends on the planet, but in that moment, he was, oh, here's the word, an enemy. It's funny how quick we are to make people our enemy when they hurt us. And you can say, well, no, I don't really have enemies. See, I don't really, I, I let go of things. I let it go. But we're humans. We're flawed. Even the people we care about, they do us wrong, and in that moment, they're our enemy. How do you handle that? How do you handle that? What am I supposed to do with someone who did something wrong to me? See, when people hurt us, it's because they took something. Sometimes it's an object. Sometimes it's something intangible. For me, it was an object. It was the milk. I needed this milk, in my opinion. And we would do anything to get that back. But what's gone is gone. And so we're left with a choice. How are we going to fill that hole? 
How are we going to fill the hole that used to be where something I cared about? That's where it was. Now, keep in mind, there are good approaches to this. At first, it starts off as, well, I just want the other person to know that they hurt me. And for a relationship, that's sustainable. That's good. If we want a healthy relationship with anyone, we have to be open and honest. Hey, you hurt me on this. We hope that they would come to us. Hey, you hurt me on this. Let's work this out. Then in other cases, it's someone did me wrong. Injustice needs to be found. I mean, the Bible supports this. This is good. Being honest with each other. Justice. These are good things. The Bible supports it. All the way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 21. We read, Have the punishment fit a crime. Life for life. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. Punishment fit the crime. Now we hear that and the light goes off in our head. And we start to think, Oh, perfect. That's my ticket to revenge. I can use that and I can take it out of context unknowingly and I can say, see, eye for eye, you better pay me back. And so we hear that and we say, great, I'm going to keep records of everything that people do wrong to me. If you do me wrong, that's fine because I'm going to write it down and I'm going to hold on to it and someday I'm going to pull it out and I'm going to remind you, you owe me. And if you don't realize that, I'm going to make you realize it by hurting you even worse than you hurt me. Take a step back. Let's not pull this out of context. Let's not just fill out records so quick. I get it. It's tempting. When I was 16 years old, I was a junior in high school. I was on the football team. Don't act surprised. I know. You look like this. Not a lot of people think that you're a football player, but that's okay. And it was a Friday night. We're playing our rival school, the Valley High School Tigers. It was like a kickoff or something. I'm running down the field. The whistle blows. The play is long over. And I get totally blindsided after the whistle blows. The play is over, and I just get knocked. Some dude from the other team just absolutely lifted me off my feet and slammed me to the ground. You better know you got another thing coming, man. <laughs> now, keep in mind, when you look like this and you play football, you're not really good at getting people back because <laughs> you're not the most intimidating force on the field. But I looked at that name on the back of his jersey. I'm like, I'm remembering that. I'm remembering that number. I'm keeping it down. The rest of the game went on. I didn't have the opportunity. But I held on to it because an eye for an eye, Right? A tooth for a tooth. I can support it with scripture. Sure, if you take it out of context. I mean, back up from that, from that, 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 those verses right there. It's Exodus 21, verses 23 and 24. That say the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, punishment fits the crime. Back up even just one verse, and you see that those commands are being given to judges and courts. Back up a couple more chapters, and you'll see that this is within the context of Moses setting up the government setting up groups of people that could help him lead the Hebrews. And one of the groups of people that he set up were the judges, the court system. And they were put in place so that they could govern over people who previously did not have rules. See, this wasn't a ticket to revenge. 
This was to prevent people from seeking revenge. This was to stop them. No, the punishment fits the crime. That's justice. Stay back. That's it. It wasn't for personal vendettas. It wasn't to fulfill your dissatisfaction in a broken relationship with someone. It was for justice within the community, within their society, amongst the Hebrews. That's what this law was meant for. And given they're human beings, these judges, they probably made mistakes. But the vengeance still isn't ours. We still don't get to run away and say, yeah, you know what? Court made a decision. Justice was found. But that's not enough for me. That's not enough for me. See, this law stopped people from saying, okay, you took my cow. I'm going to kill your entire herd and burn your house down. Don't mess with me. I've got the record. See, when we take this scripture out of context, it puts us into a habit. We write down a record for someone, and then we're like, yeah, it feels kind of good. It feels that, that pumps me up because I know that eventually I'm going to get this person back. So then another person does me wrong. Okay, great. Another record. And another person does me wrong. No problem. I'll just keep on writing down. In fact, I dare you to do me wrong. I dare you to hurt me because you have no idea what I could do back. I'll ruin you. You take something from me, be ready for my vengeance. See, that's not what Scripture says. That's not what Scripture says. This whole training process of keeping more and more records is not healthy. It's not healthy to just keep on keeping people accountable for a mistake. And yes, yeah, sometimes they intended to hurt you, and that hurts even worse. But understand that these laws were put into place not just for the sake of the offender to be relieved of future punishment. This was put in, this, these laws were put in place for the person who was offended, for the person who was hurt. Because this doesn't feel good carrying these around. It's to relieve you from these. See, that football player who knocked me down to the ground after the play, and I was so furious. I remembered his name. And then when wrestling season came, I was on the wrestling team. Again, don't act surprised. <laughs> Can you tell I was really good? <laughs> yeah. Turns out that guy was in my weight class. And I was going to be wrestling him, get this, on January 29th of 2009. <laughs> that's ridiculous. I shouldn't remember that, but that's how much I was looking forward to this. I couldn't wait to get my vengeance on him. Now, here's the thing. The meet came, and the match happened, and I don't need to tell you one. All I have to tell you is it was really lopsided, and whatever. He was really good. I was okay. You know what I mean? So he beat me. Oh, and it hurt. Because he beat me on the football field, and I was offended by it, and he mistreated me. And then he got me on the wrestling mat. And I was like, you took my dignity once, now you take it again. Well, here's another record. You just wait. Because the district tournament was coming up and he was in my districts. I couldn't get away from this guy. I'm going to get you back eventually. You just wait. A couple days later, after that match, I wake up. And because I was cool like that, I had 
shaggy hair down in front of my eyes, essentially, and I walk up to the mirror, and I do the hair flip in the morning. Oh. See, in wrestling, uh, it's very common for you to get skin infections. Um, and when I moved my hair to the side, I noticed, oh, I have one of those for sure. That doesn't look very good because no longer, there's, there's not skin on my forehead. It's just like a welt. It, it's blisters and, and it's gross and, and nasty. So I go in and I get figure out, all right, well, you're going to be out for a little while. And, and I know who gave this to me because the day after the meet, we didn't have practice. So then the last person that I would have wrestled, rubbed foreheads with on the mat would have been this guy who did me wrong on the football field and then beat me on the wrestling mat. He took my dignity. He did me wrong. Oh, I can't stand this guy. Well, you know what? More motivation. More motivation because someday when I overcome this, it's for the haters, man. It's for the haters. That's my motivation. It's just messed up and backwards, that is. If the only thing that's motivating you is these records, so that someday when you accomplish something, they can all look at you and say, wow, you're, you're great. Well, what happens when you accomplish that? Are you just going to wait for someone else to come and do you wrong so that then you can do something else great and let them see that and it's a long-ending process? We don't, we don't want that. A couple days later, after I got the skin infection, it was getting worse. This medicine that I had wasn't working. Went, oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's not one skin infection on your head. I think that's two. Nah, that's not three. Oh, make it four. Four different, just filthy, nasty, ugh, it makes me sick to think about infections on my forehead. And then I find out, yeah, you're not going to be able to wrestle for two to three weeks. In fact, you're so contagious right now that you can't even sweat in the same room as your teammates during practice. Oh, you're so contagious that when you go to church, my dad's a pastor, you have to sit in his office so that you're not around a group of people that you might pass this off to. This is what this guy did to me. And so I'm keeping record of it. And I think it's fine. And I think that this is good that I'm keeping records of it because he deserves what's coming from him. He deserves this. It caused me pain to not be able to hug my parents, to not be able to make physical contact with anyone, to not be able to wrestle and practice with my teammates. I held that against this guy. So the district tournament came. The district tournament where you tried to qualify for state. And I don't think a lot of people believe in me, but I really, I honestly thought, you know, if I could just approach that with some, with some, uh, with some momentum, I'm going to be, I think I could make state. But I didn't practice the two to three weeks before. And so I didn't make it. Not in my, I mean, let's be real. The reason why I didn't make it is because I wasn't good enough. But in my head at that time, it was I didn't make it because this guy who, who did me wrong on the football field, this guy who did me wrong on the wrestling mat, it's all his fault. I'm keeping record. The problem is, is eventually we run out of hands to keep these records with us. Because records are, are written to be kept, to bring out at another time. So it's not like you just keep a record and put it off to the side. No, you hold on to these. And so we say, okay, I realize I can't hold it on. I can't put it in my pockets anymore. Say hello to my filing cabinet. I've got it organized. I got A through M up here, and I got N through Z down there. Who would you like to hear about? 
And, and we don't just store it away somewhere. It becomes attached to us. And we can't, we can't get away from that. It's funny, because I'm keeping records with the hope that someday I'm going to feel better about myself because I can hurt someone who hurt me. Let me ask you this. Who looks like they're struggling to heal right now? Probably not the offender. It's me. I'm bound to my records that are driving me toward vengeance. This is what bitterness looks like. Do you want to hang out with this? Hey, Danny, you want to go to the movies? Sure. Can my filing cabinet come? This isn't how we were meant to live. The world says, yeah, 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 yeah. Embrace the pain that people put on you. Remember that. Have a chip on your shoulder. Jesus says, hold on. Let's look at the bigger context. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins one of the sections. You've heard it said, because the Pharisees in his day, the Pharisees were these strict, strict religious people. And part of this Jewish sect, they're strict, and they, and they held on to the law, and they misinterpreted the law. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says, back up, look at the context. I say to you, when someone slaps you, give them the other cheek. When someone sues you, give them what they want and give them more. When someone tells you to walk a mile, walk another. When someone asks something from you, give it to them. Love your neighbor and love your enemies. See, the Pharisees, they tried to justify their teaching by saying, well, see, in the book of Leviticus, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't say anything about enemies. So if I love my neighbor, the opposite of my neighbor is my enemy. So the opposite of love is hate. So you should hate your enemy. Thinking now, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's what they were teaching. And Jesus says, no. It only says, love your neighbor. Look what he says in Luke chapter 5. Who is your neighbor? The story of the Good Samaritan. Everyone you interact with is your neighbor. Whomever you come across is your neighbor. Today, whoever you come across is your neighbor. The person who cuts you off is your neighbor. The person who takes the last piece of pizza is your neighbor. When the twins strike out 38 times in the matter of two games, they are your neighbor. Love them. As if they owe us anything. You know what I mean? I'm not even a Twins fan, but I live in the city, so I want to support them. And I'm finding myself... They are so much better at baseball. They don't owe anything to me. That's beside the point. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Well, I, I don't know if I like that. Because when I hear you say, turn the other cheek, when I hear you say, love your enemy, what I'm hearing is, be a doormat. I don't want to be a doormat. I don't want to be putting myself in mortal danger, the people that I love. I don't want to be putting them in mortal danger. That's not what this says. That's not what this says.
It's love people, do not seek revenge. Because vengeance is for God alone. Vengeance is for God alone. There are a lot of things that are talked about in the Bible where it's like, you know, if you do it in moderation, it's fine. Vengeance is not one of them. We never get to seek vengeance. It's not ours. Scripture says in three different occasions. In the Old Testament, it says it, and it's quoted again in Romans and Hebrews. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay them. I keep the records. So what's our job? Romans chapter 12, verse 21. I want to read that together. And I ask that, uh, that when you hear this, when you say this, think about what it means for your life. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. See, you're not showing up and you're saying, here, step on me. Do whatever you want to me. It's, no, no, no. I am showing up to the fight, but I'm not playing your game. I'm not playing your game of vengeance. Because if I retaliate against you with an insult against insult, what are you going to do back to me? You're just going to insult me back. And then I'm going to insult you. It's a vicious cycle. Don't seek vengeance. Love. Don't play that game. You have the strongest weapon on earth. The strongest weapon in this universe, it's love. Vengeance is for God. Love is for us. And do you know how God shows his vengeance? Here's a clue. Romans chapter 5. While we were still sinners, God sent his son to die for us. See, we're sinners too. We're offenders too. Someone did us wrong, we did someone else wrong too. We deserve vengeance as well. And God being perfect, he could display it on us if he wants. But look who he chose to display it on. His son, his only son, his perfect and innocent son. We were his enemies. His enemies. And he loved us enough to send his son. And the son, while he was, while he was being killed, while he's being beaten, can you imagine what he saw, the heartbreak, looking into the person who's whipping him to the brink of death? Why didn't he act out of vengeance? Because vengeance belongs to the Father. And so he said, my job right now here, yes, I am 100% God, but I am also 100% man, and I understand my mission. I understand that God's vengeance is to be displayed on me instead of you. Yes, you who's whipping me. Yes, you who's crucifying me. Yes, us today who sin and betray God over and over again. That's who the God, that's who God d demonstrated his wrath on. See, God transformed our hearts. God transformed our lives. If you believe this, if you've accepted Christ in your heart, it's because you knew that it was a better life. And he showed you that through love, not through vengeance. God changed our eternity through love. Why are we trying to change other people through vengeance? Love changes everything.
Vengeance is God. Vengeance will be displayed. Vengeance is God's. God is not vengeance. Vengeance is God's. Vengeance will be displayed. God keeps records. But keep in mind where his wrath went. And keep in mind where his love went. See, when I was a senior, I was 17, I was getting a new job at Shields All Sports in Des Moines. And I was a cashier. And uh, I had to do training for the first couple weeks. So on my first day, they take me to the front desk. And uh, they say, all right, Danny, so here is your uh, training mentor for the day. Uh, this is Casey. And I look Casey in the eye, and I recognize this guy. Oh, Casey, the football player who knocked me down. Casey, the wrestler who gave me this. <laughs> that Casey. What do I do? Because I got a file cabinet for him. First off, I'm glad I didn't do that because I didn't want to I didn't want to lose my job and I didn't want to have a criminal record, you know what I mean? But Casey, when I walked up, he said, Hey, I know you. I'm like, oh, you think? You gonna apologize? I know you. Yeah, we wrestled. Hey, you got a lot better from last year to this year. You think I'm good at wrestling. He loved me. He showed love on me. And it changed my perspective. And I could show love on him. I learned this kid was human. He hit me after the whistle. That was mean. It was wrong. But he's human. He made mistakes. He was one of the, he was so kind to me. He always looked out for me at that job. Anytime I needed help with something, he helped me out with it. Anytime that there was an easier task to do, he let me do it. Love changes everything. I couldn't seek vengeance. It's not my job. It's not my thing to do. This is not ours to keep. These records are not ours to keep because the records that God keeps, he nailed on the cross. So let go of yours and leave them where they belong. Love your enemy. Learn from what your enemy did to you. Learn. Don't, don't get there again. But love them. Pray for them. It's not feeling love. The love that the New Testament, New Testament writers use in, 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 their, in their books is, is actually to act with love to will goodness for them. Love them. Be there for them. Pray for them. That's what changes a heart. Vengeance is a vicious cycle. But love changes everything. Love changes everything. That's a good and beautiful life. That's the kind of life I want to live. It's the kind of life that I pray we all live. We're working on it. We're working on it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. When we were your enemies, while we were still sinners, while we are sinners, you love us. 
God, just as a kid inherits their parents' genes, we've inherited your love. If there are covers over that love right now, if there are papers of records, give us the strength to pull those away. Help us see that love. Help us see that it changes everything. God, I'm tired of carrying records just so that I can remember what someone did to me and and hopefully pay them back. There's no life in that. God, I want to love people in the way that you love me. I want a heart like yours. Let us live like that. It's good. It's beautiful. It's love. Amen.